podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. thought was going to be a really 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 happy 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 podcast talking about how we were back on track how we were smashing the teams again at home but something happened anyway to discuss all of this uh, last week's shenanigans we have mr angry and i'm sure he will be quite a bit angry andy saunders hello 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 that doesn't sound very angry well i've got a bit of a sore eye oh i didn't know where that was going then yeah i was thinking good lord I'm so all right. I'm How all right. is your eye? You've it, been. I was off. Oh, before we talk about your eye and yeah. everyone goes to sleep, let's let's just introduce our very first timer on the podcast, Mr. Gary Hayes, independent freelance journalist. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Popping my cherry. Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm sorry I've sat you next to Andy for that because he is known I'm as happy the to ob- cherry popper. Happy yeah. to oblige. <laughs> <laughs> this is going a really rather wrong wrong route at the moment. Who do you uh, write for, Gary? <laughs> um, a few, but mainly Bleach Report, which is an American website, um, which is getting rather big at the moment. So yeah. they've got a UK arm now, uh, big in America mainly, but making inroads in the UK, and yeah, they're using me as their their Chelsea man. Excellent. So Good. are you? You are actually a Chelsea fan. I am as well. Yeah, I used to um, I used to work for the club, working on the program magazine. Um, but then I branched out to work in the, the new media side of journalism. So um, I'm doing more stuff online now, video, writing still. Great. Essentials. So you get to, um, you get press pass, presumably. Yeah, you? yeah. So I cover Chelsea, home and away, every game. I haven't wow. missed a game in years. Um, well, I say at home, I haven't missed a game in years. Uh, sometimes I can't get to the away games just because of other commitments. But um, yeah, there every week. Great. Recently for the... The dire results. And <laughs> yeah. Do you find it hard writing from a sort of a standoffish point of view, being a committed Chelsea fan? I, I always find it really hard. I mean, we were talking before the show how Andy and I used to, to do uh, radio commentary for Chelsea many years ago. And it was the most biased sort of commentary you could ever have. And I remember once we just went, yes, that's right. This is radio bias. And that was it because you just couldn't be anything other than a fan. Rick Rick Glanville, in his official biography of Chelsea, described it as hilariously biased. (laughs) Well, it's it's fair enough. I mean, but are you able to keep a handle on it? Yeah, it it depends who I'm writing for. So when I wrote for the magazine and the programme, obviously the nature of it is that you're going to be pro-Chelsea, but when I'm working for someone who's supposed to be neutral, then it's my job to be neutral in that sense. So it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm not upset with... When, mm. when, you know, when the team's performing badly as they are now, but then at the same time, we need to look at it a bit more subjectively and, you know, so sorry, instead, objectively and, yeah, and just not be as biased. So, you know, I'll get, I'll get a lot of abuse on social media because people will be messaging me saying, I thought you were a fan. Why are you writing this about the club? But my job isn't actually to be a fan. So, what's, yeah. your, what's your Twitter handle? People want to follow you? Just at Gary Hayes with two R's. Okay. Just because I'm special. <laughs> <laughs> and, so, and so when, you know, presumably your clients, your um, people that you write for, they're going to say, we want a little bit of dirt on Jose or write about the Eva Canero thing. Yeah, that, I, I don't get difficult? involved in that. You don't do no, that? No, just because um, I just find that the dirty side of journalism, not to say that people doing it are dirty people, but I don't get into journalism to do that. I got into journalism to, to write about football. Good man. That, that, that's what I want to do. So I don't really, I don't care who John Terry's sleeping with this week. You know, I just really, Why? Who really, is it? Yeah. <laughs> My wife, probably. But... <laughs> oh, Suck dear. him in, mate. Suck him <laughs> in. But... Well, thanks for coming on the show anyway, Gary. <laughs> it's, it's a shame, yeah, really, well, that you want, you want to write about football and you have to write about Chelsea. So yeah, it's, it's a yeah. bit of a shame, really. But, uh, so, yeah, I don't, I don't get involved in the, when Costa's fallen out of a club at three in the morning. I'm more worried about why he's putting the ball over the bar. 
Right. Well, I mean, that whole three in the morning thing, I mean, it was a bit of a sham story. I mean, that is where, you know, the red top journalism really gets on my nerves. Yeah, Jose cleared it up on Friday as well when he yeah. said, I was fully aware and the, the paparazzi missed the other 25 players that were in the club. Who it's, were that, that, there it's just later? That, yeah, it, it just happened to be that they knew Costa was going to be there and they didn't care the rest of them were there. They just wanted to get a shot of Diego Costa falling out of a club and the fact he had Kennedy with him and Ramirez, you know, that, yeah. that's, that's why they're in the pictures and, and then they wanted to make a story out of it in that Costa's leading his young Brazilian teammate Kennedy astray, you know. And, and it's their Christmas do, which, yeah. you know, wasn't even in December. Which really about. as well, um, it's rather low-key for them because normally they'll go out in dress-up and everything else and... You know, they'll make a big deal of it, but this year they seem to be a bit more low-key, which I guess makes sense because of the way the form's been. A very well-known footballer who shall remain nameless told me about the uh, Christmas party at a mid-level premiership club. And he said that, you know, they really do go for it. And it's something like they all put 20 grand in the pot. I mean, it's a lot of money, you know, and they hired a restaurant and the security and the cars and the... I bet they get starters and everything, it's don't they? It's not like you and me at Nando's, mate. <laughs> well, no. Sorry, that's not like you at Nando's. <laughs> All right, fair Forget enough. I am Lord Lof- Rutland, so, you Lof- know, none of that Nando's. for me. But, um, so I suppose we are putting off the inevitable. But could I say, how did you feel on Saturday morning about the, about the way the season had, had changed a little bit with the previous week's performance with Tottenham, getting ready for the Bournemouth game? They haven't won si- since September. What were you thinking? Were you thinking, here we go, we're going to get some goals... Costa's going to be back in. He'll fill his boots. How did you How did you view things on the Saturday morning? I think it was you know an air of confidence. Just looking at the way they've been playing, they, you know, especially that Spurs game. For once, they were defensively sound. No one was you know putting a foot wrong, and they had it sorted in that you know in that sense. But then um, when I got to the stadium and they they dished the team sheets out an hour before the game in the press box, and um, I was reading through it, and I thought, oh, you know. Baba Rahman's playing, this is going to be good because it means we're going to be playing a higher line. He's going to be getting down, whipping the sort of balls in that he did against Tel Aviv when Oscar scored that header. And then I you know, got, got through to it and saw Costa wasn't starting. It just spelt bad news because I think those three you know, attacking, or well, four attacking players against Spurs, they, they did a job defensively and they caused a few little problems. But when you're playing Bournemouth, a newly promoted team at home, you need to be going for it. And especially, you know, that was, that was the opportunity for Chelsea to send out a message, really. Yeah, you know, two, I mean, two changes to the side that faced eight, wasn't it? Courtois came back after a long layoff uh, in for Begovic, uh, who I thought did a pretty good job uh, in Courtois' absence. Uh, yeah, I think Beg. Sorry, I, th- I thought you were just going to say I thought Courtois did a pretty good job, um, but we'll get to that in a minute. I yeah. think you're right. I think Begovic hasn't really done much wrong. I know there's a few people who've been sort of eh, he's not as you know sprightly as he should be, but he's he's actually saved us a lot of times. He's, he's actually saved points for us as I well. Think he's, I think we, he's come in to do the job that we brought yeah. him for. Yeah, I think if you saw him against Tel Aviv when it was one nil and now down to ten men, yeah, that that breakaway he made an excellent save. Then I think you know he, he isn't in the same class as Courtois but at the same time apart from Dynamo Kiev when he flapped at that cross and he cries I can't feel a mistake he's made he's done I, a good I, job I, I totally agree it was a little bit harsh to drop him the moment Courtois comes back but I guess he did it with the view to he needed him to have game time ahead of this Porto game which really I, yeah. is the crunch game for Mourinho this season and I think there's also something about the, the Courtois thing Mourinho is very much about he's got his main players and as soon as they're fit, they come in. And it was a real statement of fact from him on the Friday, I think it was, was going, we have Courtois back, the greatest goalkeeper, blah, blah, blah. He's back, he's here. Almost as if to say this should really give a tonic to the team, seeing Thibaut come back. Yeah, and we'll talk about him flapping at the cross. But, yeah, yeah, OK. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, the other changes, uh, you know, as Gary's already mentioned, is, is Baba Rahman coming in for Azpilicueta, which must have upset you because yeah. he's, he's your favourite player, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, I mean, but I mean, I would also say Dave has made some mistakes in the last few weeks, the kind of which I haven't seen. I think at Tottenham there was a ball that went over his foot on the touchline and it happened the week before. Um, and maybe it's affecting him. But, yeah, I, I, I think... We've got the best right back in the country, and he never plays there. Is, mm. is my thinking? Because I think with with Rahman, I think it was the case of he was playing at left back because of Aspilicueta's. You know, he, he's restricted having to cut in and cross for his right all the time. And I think that's what Mourinho wanted, but at the same time, he didn't start a striker, and it was really no, frustrating. No watching target it. man was this? Yeah, because the balls that Rahman was putting in at first, there were the sort of balls that really Costa should be feeding off. Yeah. And also know, and, as well. And then when Costa came on, they stopped crossing those balls. And also as well, the other player that seemed to get the ball all the time was Ivanovic, down down in that bottom quadrant, you know, with the ball at his feet, able to cross the ball in. 
nobody in the box. I yeah. mean, I was watching Everton last night play Palace, and you know they had Kone and Lukaku, in. you know, standing in the box, you yeah. know, waiting to go. I mean, they had lots of players in the box. We and, just don't have players in the box, and they were intelligent as well. Everton, yeah. they were all in different areas of the penalty area. Yeah, a couple of times there were, there were players attacking the same area of the pitch yeah I mean this is the Everton that conceded three goals against Bournemouth Mm. but you know they do they do put men in the box and and I think if you're going as Gary quite rightly said it was a surprise to see an attacking fullback who was providing width you know not having a target man to aim at it it just seemed a little bit the sort of balls that he puts in you know he he gets the ball and it's a instant cross we saw him do it in Germany which I thought the reason why they signed him yeah and that you'd expect that yeah, maybe they've signed him a season too early where they're going to phase out Ivanovic, that he's not going to get his new contract and then, you know, Azpilicueta will go out on the right and then Rahman will play left. Defensively, he's got a lot to, got lot a lot to improve to on. But going forward, he, he certainly gives Chelsea something on that left flank because, you know, I was just chatting to someone earlier about it. There's this, you know, um, this pattern where Chelsea overload the right and it, it becomes so predictable because yeah. of Ivanovic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and we've mentioned that overload before. Yeah, it's, we have. It's, you know, it is so obvious when you're sitting in the stands that that's what happens and also so Bubba he commits really early he gets, oh, he gets spun really early yeah, and I was just going to say he gets so tight there was that yeah. time where he ended up flat on his backside didn't he yeah. we were so tight on the attack I actually thought Matic did a good job covering him to be honest you know, well, I mean, let's you know. get into that you haven't even we haven't got past well, you, two inter- to, you interrupted me well I, that's I, because it's a very interesting interrupt from both <laughs> Gary and myself so two changes to the side that face though Baba Raman obviously as we've discussed is the other one that came in Costa on the bench again um, so Begovic in goal Ivanovic, Cahill, Zuma, Rahman as a back four. Matic and Fabregas uh, in the two holding roles. William, Oscar and Pedro sitting behind Hazard as a, a kind of false nine, I think we're supposed to call them, aren't we? Um, so, you know, it is a... You know, it, it false a, front line, And I'll I thought we it. started the first 20, 25 minutes, we looked great. Well, the, we first, looked great. the first 10 to 12 minutes, we were fantastic. I mean, we really were that good. You thought... And I remember saying to somebody next to me, uh, I said... Let's hope that this isn't one of those games where we go, oh, that first 10, 12 minutes, we were brilliant, and then it all fell apart. And it kind of... The, the point is, I think that playing without a striker kind of worked against Tottenham because we weren't going all out for a win. We were playing some nice football, but we weren't committed to having to score, mm. especially with Tottenham perhaps having a toothless day or perhaps us defending well. I'm not sure which it was. We didn't have oh, to go out. It was out definitely there. the latter. We defended very well. I think. I think we did. I also think they were, as they proved this weekend, they're not as hot as they were. Yeah. But I don't want to diss us because I think we did well that day. But I don't think the pressure was on us in the same way whereby we had to take that game to Bournemouth as we did the first ten, twelve minutes. We didn't score. Hazard had that shot that stung the keeper's hands, and then it started getting into the same old story. Well, hang on a minute. Did it though? Yeah, I don't did. think it didn't. You know, I think well, you're I, no because if you look at the stats, Kerry, oh, here we go. stats can tell a thousand I know, things. It, because look, we had sixty-three percent possession, which is a little bit more than we usually have. Yep. We had eleven corners, which meant we were getting the ball down into those areas. Yep. We had nineteen attempts on goal, six of those on target. You know, these are much better stats than we normally have. The yeah, they are. Stuff, but how many of those uh, attempts on target were actually really very dangerous? Doesn't matter. The point. Well, the, no, it does because then the you're arguing. Stats. No, 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 no. I'm arguing the fact that you said it went off the boil. We were constantly at them. Constantly, we were toothless. Did we you? didn't have, listen to me. We were toothless. <laughs> we didn't have penetration, but we weren't sitting back, letting the letting the game go around. No, us. no, no. I, don't, I, th- I, I would agree with that, but I would say that we've still got this problem where we're not putting the ball away and we're not really making the keeper ever work. There was no world-class no. save having to be made. But we know that. I mean, that's almost yeah. pointless saying that. We know that. But then it's pointless supporting the team anymore if they're just going to be pointless. No, but it's but, like, but, you know, if you're using that as, a, as, a, as an argument to say that we didn't play well because we didn't test the keeper, that's, I think that's nonsense. But I think it's the case play. if they played well, then it gets to the point that they're in the final third and they just don't know what to do with it. Because... Oh, I agree with that. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying it's a good thing. I'm not saying yeah. that, you know, but I don't think you can turn around and just go, well, we were rubbish because we no, were. I don't think we, we played rubbish, really but well. I don't think we there played is a missing, that well. But well, no, but you're missing the point. We we pl- we did play well. We just didn't have. No, a fight. you think we played well. well we I a... don't think we played well. I, 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 I think, think the we stats. Well I think the point. stats they they distort it a little bit as well because we can talk about the corners. But 
Delivery was uh, terrible. It, it, I'd like to see Awful. the amount of corners that just went straight into um, Artur Buric's hand. Because no, I agree. That's the delivery. But the point is, we were getting corners, which meant we were down that end of the pitch. We were creating things at that end at of the half time, pitch. At half-time, I saw um, the stats tweeted about, you know, I, I was surprised when I saw it, you know, that we had more shots on goal. And, but I think it was just a way that, it's, it's one thing, you know, Mourinho says it himself, it's one thing having all the possession, but then it's what you do with it. Look, the nobody wants to be Arsenal. Just... Nobody wants pretty no, football sure, up then, to the 18-yard but... box. Nobody wants that. I get that. I want to defend my point here because the fact <laughs> is, I think it's very <laughs> easy. And we'll come on to the crowd in a minute and the, and the, ignorant, yeah, okay, and the yeah, yeah. ignorance of the crowd. The fact <laughs> of the matter is, we are not playing terrible football. We are lacking penetration, but that is one bit of the game. It's a very, very important bit, but it is not. you cannot sit there and say we're playing badly because we're not. I think it's a case of no one wants to take responsibility and then when they do, it's the wrong player. Like when Ivanovic, when it was 1-0, he had that shot from about 30 oh, yards well, out. That was awful. He went to the corner flag awful. and then the, the Matthew Harding, you know, quite rightly, you know, bemoaned the fact. He started arguing with him then Costa turned around started remonstrating with the fans as well. But I just think it's, you know, you've got players like Eden Hazard, you know, Diego Costa, Fabregas, Oscar, Willian. You know, these are world-class players and they're getting the final third and they just, they just don't know what to do with the ball. Whereas I think if you see, you know, Bournemouth were a championship team last season, they've got, you know, um, they're a team of, in the greatest respect to these players, they're, they're a team of misfits. You know, you know you've got the likes yeah. of um, Arta who you know, couldn't make it at Charlton had to go back down the leagues to come back up and these guys are getting in those positions and, you know, they're doing more of the ball. Matt Ritchie, you know, he, he had an amazing game. And this is a guy that um, yeah. a few, a few years good. ago I was interviewing for the Johnson's Paint Trophy final. Yeah. You know, and they've come into the Premier League, and they're there, showing they're showing better decision making, more execution in, in that final third, which is how more passion. It led. I don't even think it comes down to passion. I just think it comes down to you know being clinical and okay. you know have, having that confidence to you know to. I agree. To score I mean, goals. Richie's a great example because Richie gave Baba an absolutely torrid time on that. Yeah, right he wing. did. I mean, he was brilliant. I have to say, you're right. And you know, they played a very sensible counter-attacking game, like a newly promoted away team should. You know, I mean, they they were good. They won basically one shot on target in the second yeah. half and they took it. Yeah. You know, the fact of the matter is we had great opportunities. You know, we had a fantastic opportunity when it came across and we just couldn't put the ball in the net. So, you know, Hazard had a snapshot. We had, we had shots. We were creating everything. You know, I mean, we, we made 524 passes to their 300. I mean, we did... Yeah, we you're were getting overstatting No, I'm it not, all. Kerry. It's all right. Are. Look, it's all right, to s- no, it's all right to sneer at this stuff. But the fact but of the matter is, you turning around... No, we're not all doing we it. We are, because no, it doesn't mean no, anything. we're not all doing 524 it. 524 passes, Kerry, no listen, goals. listen. Stop talking for a second and listen. I think you'll find you've had more possession of the talking than anyone. <laughs> Look, he's done nothing with it. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'll tell you what really has upset me about it. It's not losing. Losing is fine. And I'm used to losing. You know, I've watched the team when they're in the second division. I've been watching it for many years with you. What upsets me is when people are losing their shit over a couple of defeats and booing the team and saying we're playing badly and suddenly everything that we've achieved over the last 10 years... It's been completely rubbish. Players that have died for us. Players like Ivanovic getting booed. You know, players who have given their all to us are suddenly discarded by fans, you know, most of whom I presume are from the post-Ibramovic era, who've never experienced what we've experienced. It drives me insane. And to hear people booing at the end of the game, to hear people booing players, I can't, I can't deal with it. it. It upsets me beyond belief. I totally agree. I, look, honestly, I have never booed a player. Not once in my entire life. I don't think you have, Kerry. But you know what? Nobody admits booing. You ask someone if they booed. Nobody ever admits it. No, I never do. I've never joked boo. But suddenly there's a lot of them in the ground booing. I booed Arsenal once. Well, you know, a couple of people said on, you know, on, on Twitter afterwards when I made this point, you know, I once booed, you know, I once said, to, I once said Dave Sexton had got it wrong or something like that. <laughs> Nobody would admit to booing. It's, you know, it's... I don't know. I, th- I think it was really weird around us because... At the end of the game, um, you know, a game like that, as you know, I, I live quite a, a way away. But I just, and, and I found myself at times this season leaving a couple of minutes early. But I can't actually do it when we are playing the way we are and I need to see what the resolution is at the end of a game. I need to see if we're going to get that 94th minute winner. I can't leave. So I, w- I was quite interested to see the reaction because I actually... I actually shouted at some people on Saturday who left when Bournemouth scored, and it really made me upset. I said, why the hell are you going this early before the end of a game because another team scored? It's part of being it's a supporter w- as well, because... Clues in the name, isn't it? Yeah, but ju- yeah. just to... I might sound a bit too... Um, 
you know, maybe I thought about it too much, but you're a supporter and it's when that goal goes in in the 82nd minute that those players need you more than ever. Exactly, that's my point. That, that's I, my point. that I totally get. And, you know, I was really upset when I saw those fans going. And then at the end, it was, it was, it was the oddest thing because a whole load of people in the Matthew Harding sort of applauded as though we'd won the league. And yet you could hear all these boos going off everywhere. And it was sort of like this whole mixed message from so many people in the ground. And I thought, I get your point. The word and what you just said, um, Gary, is that supporters should support. Um, you can pay your money. Yeah, you can pay your money. Get, Phil always takes the line, which is, you know, pay money, I can do what I want. Yeah. Yes, you can. You know, but the fact is, this is a democracy, so yes, you can. But in a democracy, I have an opinion as well. And my opinion is, you're a moron if you do that. Yeah. An absolute moron. And I will say it. I'm sick enough already of being surrounded by Japanese tourists with their iPads in the air for the whole game. I'm mm. sick of the fact that it costs so much that ordinary people can't come to the game. That it's become part of the bucket list. It's become part of the travel itinerary now. That, you know, the supporters that are in the ground, the real supporters, the ones that have been there, all three of us have been there for a very long time. We're the ones that we should be setting an example. Yeah, I agree. And, I, and, I, and, I, and it annoys me that people are so shallow and so pathetic. I understand the frustration. I'm, I'm as frustrated as anybody. It ruins my weekend. I can't watch Match of the Day. I can't read the Sunday papers. I'm sure we're all the same. It absolutely ruins your weekend. Yeah, do you know, you know so but, it, it's, but it's, it's, you know, as I, I keep saying it, this, the clue is in the name. We are supporters. We have to support the club. The club will go on and on and on. These players will come, they will go. Those that have done well will be revered. Those that haven't done so well, well, they'll just fade away. But we shouldn't boo them. If you want to make a protest, don't applaud. You know, be silent. It's about like those people that don't want to sing the national anthem. I don't want to sing the national anthem. I'm a Republican. I'm not a hypocrite, all right? But I won't boo the national anthem because I have respect for other people that want to do it. I just don't sing it. I'm silent. The, if the you issue... want to withhold your applause, that's fine by me. Don't boo. The yeah. issue is as well is that someone like Ivanovic, he's had a bad season. You know, don't get me wrong. And, but the moment he scores two goals at Anfield to, to turn Liverpool over again... You'll be the best right back in the world, and that, that's the issue. Is that it is it's feast and famine, isn't it? One minute you're amazing, you know. Diego Costa, you know, last season was a massive hero, and suddenly now Chelsea fans are getting on his back. And I was looking, I think, you know, yeah, he might be a bit of an arsehole, but he's a Chelsea arsehole, and you should be giving him more support. People like me in the media, you know, we're there to comment on it, and you know, we've got to be, you know, looking at it in terms of what it means to you know to the wider picture of football and everything else. So, you know, I'll be there, and I'll have to criticise him at times. But then at the same time, the fans, you know, they're the, they're the ones that should be behind these players because when the players are playing at, you know, the King Power Stadium on, on Monday evening, they're going to be getting abuse from those Leicester fans and you don't want to be getting it at home. And I, I wrote something on the back of that, to plug my own work, um, I wrote something on the back of that uh, Bournemouth game saying that, you know, Stamford Bridge was once a fortress, now it's Chelsea's Achilles Hill. Because I think that, you know, the whole mood at Stamford Bridge, you know, it's all changed and the players tense, go there. Yeah. You can just sense it, you mm-hmm. know, that the moment something goes wrong, that the players feel it. You see it on the pitch, they start dropping deeper and deeper and the fans, you know, they, they, they react to it negatively as well. And I think if they got behind the team a bit more, it would help them push up a bit, you know, everything else we talk about. But I just think that playing at home isn't what it used to be for Chelsea. No, and the fans, I don't think the fans know what they want because half of them are shouting, you know, shoot, and then the other half are screaming at when they miss. Half of them are shouting attack and then the other half are going, well, we left no one at the back. It's like, you know, it, it's, I find it so frustrating that they can't just take a step back, have a look at the game, see it in context, and, you know, and, and, and look, nobody's going to expect football fans to not react emotionally. I mean, I react emotionally. We all do. I mean, that's one of the great releases of going to a football match is to react emotionally. But sometimes when in periods of difficulty, you've got to take a step back. You've got Because calm heads will always win the day. Always. You know, and I think that that's the problem with football teams that panic and, you know, and we're, we're as bad as anybody in terms of firing managers. You know, uh, I mean, what do we think about that? I mean, what do we think about Jose's prospects? Well, I mean, I would be absolutely devastated if he left, I have to mm, say. Me too. Yeah. And I'll, I'll say that from a professional point of view and a fan point of view. And, you know, but he said today in his press conference ahead of the Porto game that um, Chelsea have got an owner who doesn't change with the wind. Although the wind's strong at the moment, he knows what he's done for this club. And I think, I know it's social media and those fans aren't always representative of Chelsea in terms of Stamford Bridge crowd, but the... The level of abuse I was getting for back in Mourinho again after Saturday's game, you know these these accounts popping up, you know the Mourinho out club. Oh, I was like, Are you being serious? You know yeah. this is a guy that, you know, for me, I, I don't want to sound too nostalgic and you know like a, an old fuddy duddy, but you know even though I'm only thirty three, but 
You know, I, I started watching Chelsea at games. Uh, first game was Chelsea 4, Liverpool 2, 91. We'd just been beaten 7-0 by Forrest the week before. And, you know, so I went through, you know, Chelsea, never expecting Chelsea Six to do anything. Six years before we won anything, yeah. Yeah, but, you know, but and I was watching Chelsea at home and, you know, we, we were losing games to, you know, at home on TV, on ITV, when we were rarely on and we were losing games against, you know, rubbish teams. And, you know, we were losing in the FA Cup to Bristol City and, you know, in the third round. I never thought Chelsea would get to this level ever, you know. And my dad, he's, you know, he, he, we, we were brought up on um, this BBC video called Six Memorable Matches, which was, you know, we had played it over and over. And to me, like, Peter Osgood was this god. You know, no one knew who he was when we were growing up, you know, apart from me and my brothers. And we'd talk about him. You know, my fans would be like, uh, my friends would be Andy Cole in the playground. I'd be Peter Osgood. And I'd be like, who's he? And I was like, oh, you know, he's Chelsea, Chelsea, you know. But so for him, you know, I know Bramvich came in and he bought Mourinho a year later, but... What he's done for Chelsea, I know he's had the backing of Abramovich to do it, but people shouldn't forget that. No. You know, this is a manager that came in, won us a league for the first time in 50 years that Ranieri couldn't do, you know, with virtually the same squad. You know, he's brought that winning mentality to Chelsea. He's made Chelsea what it is today, and I think people need to remember it, regardless of what's happened these last three months. I'd also say, I think, I think there's something here that I think we're all hitting on. Um, which is what I find the most frustrating thing of everything. And I said this to you last week, Andy, before the game. I was saying, I find myself falling out of love with the modern version of football in the fact that we live in an age now where something's not working, we throw it away, we replace it. If your iPhone or your phone or this, that and the other doesn't work, invariably they replace it with a new one or you go and buy a new one. There aren't repairmen for things anymore. Nobody fixes anything. We chuck it all away. And it's the same in football. I mean, how many times have we said, if it hadn't been, say, for their first season and surviving it, would Didier Drogba have scored all the goals for Chelsea? Would Frank Lampard have scored all the goals for Chelsea? You know, you can look at all these players who took time to settle in. You can look at all these players when they had terrible bad patches. Yes, but Gronkaya. You know, received dogs abuse. Yeah. Probably scored the most important goal in the history of this mm. club. Yeah, that's you know, absolutely and, right. And so I don't see the point of caning players. I mean, there have been some bloody awful players. I mean, we had one managing a team we were playing against the other day. Slavisa Johanovic was an awful player. But, you know, they come, they go. You know, they, 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 they drift they did in, have they green drift fruits, though. <laughs> well, maybe, but um, you know, I mean, let's not. Let, I mean, let's not kid ourselves. There have been some absolute dogs through come the ranks of Chelsea. But the fact of the matter is, the players come and go. The club will always be there. The fans will always be there. We might as well make an effort, you know, to, to support them. Because if we're going to panic, I mean, and also the thing is, we came off the back of what was it two wins and a draw and three clean sheets in that game. It wasn't as if we were, you know, spiralling out of control. Where there were, as you said rightly earlier on, you know, shards of light and, and green shoots in there. That's the matter is, you know, they, you know, we flapped it across, the ball came across, they overloaded the back post, the ball went in. I mean, it happens. That's football. Nobody's got a divine right to win a football match. I was devastated. I'm sure we all three were. You know, it's embarrassing. We've all got to go into work. We've all got to take the banter. We've all got to do that. That's, we invest emotionally in it. Of course it is. But nobody's got a divine right to win a football match. You've got to deal with it. And, but this, my point also is the fact that supporters aren't the same as they used to be. Everyone's fickle. You know, I know people who have swapped teams to support. I can't imagine that as a kid growing up, that I would ever, once I committed to Chelsea, that was it. You don't change your football team. You know, it's not possible. But I think everything is too easy for football fans now. I think it's very easy to moan, to bitch, to to be elated, to be overjoyed, to be underwhelmed. You know, it's like, oh, so what? We'll just get a new one of those. Mm. And this is the age of big finance has changed, the, not the, just the way footballers behave, but the way supporters behave. Mm. And I think that is the biggest problem that we have for us, and I think it probably happens at a lot of other clubs, but really relevantly for us because there's a lot of people who have only bought into Chelsea since we started winning in the modern era. I'm not talking about no, the Glenn right. Hoddle days. No, you're right. And, and this is what makes me really I, I agree. Upset. And I've got friends who are passionate Chelsea fans who haven't been to a game for five years because they can't afford it. They'll go to the pub and they'll watch it on the, on the telly. Yeah, yeah. You know, and they would dearly love to the ground. But they, they come to the ground, but they can't afford it. And I'm not saying... Look, I took my nephew, eight years old, for his first game on Saturday, right? It's a magical experience for him. I mean, not a magical result, but frankly, he didn't care. It was the atmosphere and the hot dogs and the scarf and, and all that kind of stuff. It was a wonderful thing for, you know, to experience a kid on his first Chelsea game. 
And I've got no problem with people experiencing Chelsea. But if you come, participate. Don't sit there taking selfies. Don't sit there holding your iPad. Don't sit there, leave, you know, come in 10 minutes after the game started and leave 10 minutes before it finishes. Don't be one of those fans. You know, come along and participate. Support the football team. Because you know, there are lots of us that care passionately about this team. And as I said, I go back to it. We need to set an example. We need to set an example to the fair-weather fans, to the, you know, to the plastics, whatever you want to call them. And they can come in and they can go out and that's fine. That pays for a lot of what we do, the corporate boxes. I get all that. I understand the economics of it. But you know, people like us shouldn't be booing the team. That's my point. And people like us should not look at our team and go, we're crap. Because frankly, we're not. We just are missing certain bits of it. There are certain bits. If you want crap, go and support Sunderland. Go and support Newcastle. Go and support a team in League Two. You know, that's crap. You know, that is when you, you, know, when you travel from Newcastle to Southampton and see you lose. I mean, that's a, that's a tough gig. Do you know what I mean? We haven't had it tough over the last 10 years at all. And I think it's a sense of entitlement that offends me. Just to digress slightly from that point, that's why um, I think Abramovich deserves a lot, of, a lot of praise for what he's done this season because years gone by, I think that that fickle approach, he's maybe fed it a little bit in terms of, you know, when Jose first left, you know, Avram Grant came in, he wasn't really this big name that he wanted. He, he, got, he got rid of him, bought in Scolari, things went wrong, got rid of him. You know, he bought in Hiddink, Hiddink done a good job but didn't want, didn't want to stay. So then they bought in Ancelotti, he, he goes straight away, AVB goes straight away, you know, the slightest sign of trouble. Whereas now, he's shown this, you know, intent to stand by Jose. You know, there's not a Chelsea manager under um, Abramovich just weathered a storm like this. You know, Chelsea have never been hovering two points above the relegation zone. And I, I think he deserves a lot of credit for it that hopefully fans will fall in line and see that, you know, the club's behind the manager, regardless of, you know, speculation in, in, in the press. And, uh, you know, they're going, to, they're going to get through it together. Whether that lasts forever or not, I just think that just to see the owner take that stand and, you know, not go, you know, he's going against the grain, if you like, of what Abramovich has done in the last decade. I just think it's, you know, a positive thing, you know, like going back to what Jose was saying today and that he's not going to change, you know, with the wind. Well, he has in the past, but he seems to be, you know, different now. He seems to be taking a different path and hopefully Chelsea will see that, you know, the fans will see that. Don't you think there's something in the fact also Abramovich is not going to get rid of Jose a little too early again or whatever. He, I don't think he could probably put up with another X amount of years of people chanting Jose's name, as, as I think would probably happen. If he went now, I think there'd be a lot of people who would still go, we want Jose back. Do, do you know what I mean? I think he's still yeah, got me, great included. support. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. I think he's still got great support. So I think, you know, Abramovich, let's face it, Every one of his managers since Jose has been kind of cursed by the ghost of Jose. Whether they've won league titles, cups, Champions Leagues, mm. it hasn't really mattered to a certain amount of people and a certain mentality around the club. I think if Jose goes, it has to be because he's become so awful, so obviously awful to everyone, that everyone is going, please leave now. And that is not the time. I think with right Jose now. as well, is that he's a. He's a symbol of what the modern Chelsea is, and what, that's why I think he's the the manager Chelsea need. Because when, when, oh, I've, I've said that to you know, fellow journalists, and they say, "Oh, what? Because he's an arsehole. That's the that's the <laughs> modern that's the modern Chelsea." But the point behind it is that you know we were a club that was lingering around the top six. You know, in the nineties, we weren't a city that you know were playing playoff finals and having to come back and then get promoted up to you know we've never been out of the you know lower than the championship. We've been a club that's always been this sleeping giant, if you like, and. I think to parallel that with Jose's career is that he was the might be the interpreter and then he became the coach and everything else. But he's been hanging around the big time and then suddenly he's become the big time and he's become that you know special one at the same time Chelsea have. And I think he understands that with Chelsea. You know, I think his career mirrors where Chelsea are in terms of you know the rise under Abramovich. You know, the the boys on the scene that have come and ruffled the feathers of the Premier League and the European elite. And as a coach, he's done that. He's got no playing career. Yeah, you know, he, he didn't ever really have any coaching credentials. You know, until he really took over Porto and had success. So I think if you look at him, he, he's ideal for Chelsea and he understands that and you know, he, he embodies what Chelsea is and you know, for good or bad, I think that's a good thing. You know, he, he understands the club in the way that you know, Liverpool fans, you know, forgive me for mentioning them, but the, the, way, the way they pontificate about King Kenny, I think that's what Jose is for Chelsea. I agree. I, I think that's very articulately put. I also think as well, somebody said 
last week. You know, we are a club that thrives in chaos. Yeah. You know, we have done. You know, when we were sacking managers, we won the Champions League. You know, I mean, it's like, you know, we've, we've won things in ridiculous circumstances through chaos. You know, and what's always happened previously is, is Jose's managed to take that chaos and create this bunker mentality that's manifested itself on the pitch as a kind of physical, robust response um, in a kind of, you know, to use a Millwall expression, no one likes us, we don't care. It hasn't happened. The players haven't responded to that. You know, I think the players have to take the responsibility for not responding to this. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, that's an excuse to boo them, but, you know, I mean, they are frustrating this season, the, the, the players. They're not swaggering. They're not playing with the, with the confidence that Mourinho wants them to play with. And I wonder if that's a chemistry thing or a balance thing or a bad buying thing because, man, I'm finding it difficult to put my finger on it. Well, that, that's the thing. I mean, that's kind of what I was trying to say earlier was that, I don't think we're playing well in a lot of ways. And yet, at the same time, there are sublime things that happen on that pitch. There was a couple of turns that Eden made on, against Bournemouth that he just went, how did he just do that? And suddenly he's standing in like an open field or whatever. And I, I, I'm finding that their problem is, it's kind of almost like they overplay sometimes instead of that one quick pass. You know, how many times does William cut back and turn round? Or, or, you know, in the second half, it's really weird. They wouldn't give the ball out all the time to Baba when he was overlapping. They cut inside and you kind of wondered, is there kind of some issue there that they want to play with themselves? Or, you know, you start looking it's for a, it's a com- random that, that sort of stuff, things. I think, is confidence. Yeah. I think when you're confident, you're pinging it. You know, you're pinging it with a swagger. And I think that's what's driving Mourinho mad. It's like, yeah. ping it and get it in the box. You know, Williams the only one doing it. Yeah, and you know, and we all know that you know, bless him. I know he's got a final product this season, but they're all from free, free kicks, kicks or whatever. Yeah. He does lack that final bit, doesn't he? And I think that yeah, the pass a, down the inside right yeah, channel. He's a, or... But he's brilliant for getting it to the eighteen-yard area. But you yeah. need a Hazard, an Oscar, a Pedro to deliver that ball, and you need a Costa to be in that six-yard box. So I think going back to the idea of you know how frustrating Chelsea are that you know that siege mentality Jose likes to create. And the way the players haven't reacted this season, I think this goes back to the point he made a couple of years ago when he said about the little horse in the title race. Um, I think winning this title last season was a case, you know, we were obviously a very good team in the way we won it. Uh, I think that was more down to the manager than the players. But I think that papered over the cracks in where this squad is. And I think that's what the, the board understands. And, you know, having Emanalo there as the, the football man that go, to go to between the board and Jose, you know, helping explain that because... The way he's trying to get the, the players to react to his you know, methods, they're not. And I think that's because certain players lack the maturity to do it or they lack the character to do it. And I think they are the little horse in that sense because they haven't fully developed into where he wants them to be. And I, agree. I think that still applies to this team. And winning the title last season, we just all thought, oh yeah, wow, they've run away with it and everything's perfect. And then they've had two bad transfer windows that hasn't, you know, haven't helped. You know, I, For the life of me, I can't see why they got rid of Sherlock and replaced him with... Quadrado, you know, mm. I'm better than Quadrado. And I mean, there you know, were, I there were issues run. about his fitness and his, you know, persistent illness. And all but I, I just think that when he played, he, he wasn't a starter. But when he played and he came off the bench, he was effective. And yeah, he was. I think the, the, the example I can use the, the best is the Paris Saint Germain game when we won two 0 at the death with Denver Bar scoring. Hazard went off injured in that game. Sherla came on to replace him, and we just thought, oh, here we go. You know, Hazard's done now. We're we're done in this tie. And who scored the goal that got us back into it? Sherla. Yeah. He had that knack for doing it, and he did it for Germany in the World Cup. And yeah. you know, even when we started the season against Burnley, he was scoring then. And you know, he, he did dip. But I just think he's a player that long term. He's a squad player. Chelsea don't have enough of those squad players. I think beyond the first eleven, they don't have anything else to, to come on and change things. And, There's no surprise. Yeah, and there. City are, are, are suffering from that a little bit this season. Yeah. You know, with, with company out, with Toure out, and with Aguero out, they looked half a team. It's their spine And, gone, and they it? talk about yeah. the spine. And, you know, we had Terry, Lampard, Drogba. You know, we had... Check. You know, a check, Makaleli. You know, we had a fantastic spine going down the middle. And when we didn't have... You know, when, when we didn't have them, we had Balak and we had, you know, people coming in to, you know, to provide that spine. And we had leadership, you know, and all of those players I've just mentioned were leaders, all yeah. of them. You know, they were all captains at one point or another. And we don't now. You know, we've got, you know, John Terry. John Terry doesn't play. There's not a leader on the pitch. It looks like 11 blokes that don't know each other. Yeah. Which happened on Saturday. Yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, it's, it's an odd one. <clears throat> to make Ivanovic captain. I think so. When Cahill's on the pitch. Yeah, you know. exactly. Especially when Ivanovic is getting a, you know, maybe it's meant to be a psychological thing. We make him captain. Maybe the, the fans won't get on his case. 
But it looks to me as though, you know, Ivanovic for me has been a fantastic servant. He is going through a dreadful period. Now, whether this is a dreadful period that leads to the end of his Chelsea career, I don't know. He's had injuries. He's played badly. This idea of making him captain, maybe that was meant to get everyone off his back. But I agree with you. You know, for me, Cahill should be captain all the time. Yeah, well, I mean, and I would say in Ivanovic's defence, you know, I did mention it earlier, three clean sheets before this, you know, before this... Uh, particular game. So, I mean, the defensive, we had this conversation about, yeah, I, 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 I don't think the defence was that, I don't think the defence is too much of a problem at the moment. We don't seem to be hemorrhaging goals. I mean, they are stupid goals. I mean, that was a stupid goal against Bournemouth, but we're not, I don't, it doesn't look like you, 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 you got your, you know, on the edge of your seat every time they come at us. I mean, they didn't really create that much. No, I don't think the defence is a major problem at the moment. I know you do. I know you think that. And I've got a real concern. If we meet somebody on fire, they'll take both our full-backs apart if it's Branner and, and Babber at the but moment. we had it against Tottenham, and Tottenham were on fire. <clears throat> they weren't that day, though, because somehow we shut them down and we played really well. I thought, I thought that was our best defensive performance of the season. I think we closed everyone down, and I think a lot of that was down to Matic. For me, part of my whole issue at the moment is the amount of work that Matic is having to do and consequently is making him a worse player. I think that's because... I'm not saying this to criticise Fabregas because I think he's an absolutely wonderful player, but he's being asked to do a job that he's never done in his career. I totally agree with that. I, I, I agree with both that, of you. That is yeah. exactly what I'm saying. So Matic think... is having to fill in for him, whereas last season when teams were playing against us and they weren't so sure, they were on the back foot a bit, whereas now teams are flooding that area with you know, two or three players. They're you know, triangles around Fabregas. He's just a, you know, on the 70th minute, I think what happened, we had a corner and and then uh, Bournemouth broke. I think it was Josh King broke free. And Fabregas was running after him. And he just looked knackered. Yeah, he runs and backwards. He, 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 so can't, he can't play. He can't play that box-to-box, you know, attacking and defensive role that is being asked of him. And, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not Mourinho. I don't have a pro licence. But I'll just look and I think maybe someone like Oscar's more suited into playing that role. Well, we, we, we have said that on this, on this podcast. On the regards, we, we're quite astounded that he hasn't been tried in that role, really. Because you know, he, he likes a tackle. And he can pass. So, yeah. you know, it would take pressure. I, I feel really sorry for Fabregas because I think he's becoming almost worse by the week. But yet he seems to be almost untouchable. Because it's, it's like asking, you know, a, um, it's like asking John Terry to play right back and expecting him to be John Terry. Yeah. You know, I don't, or, or it's like getting, um, now hold on, a right back play left back and a centre <laughs> yeah. back play right back. And a, oh, yeah, hold on. We because I think if, if you look at the stats as well, in, in that position, you know, to go back to stats, you know, Fabregas has got a, his defensive duties are going to be on high demand, and he has won less tackles than any other player in that midfield this yeah, season. Absolutely. Whereas Oscar, outside of Matic, has won the most, he's, yeah. and he's committed the least fouls. And I don't think he looks so good at the moment up in that. No, I front think someone three. like him to, to sit in there, he's got the ability to you know to get get the team going from from deep. Whereas I think if you play Fabregas further up, you know, look what happened. Um, England or Spain, England, and how Fabregas played in that game, yeah. and where was he playing in that position yeah. further forward? And Absolutely. he had the he had the um, the security of Brusquets behind him, you know, and, yeah, and he, he can play, and, and he got to, he, he was involved in both goals. And, yeah. and Barcelona, he played as a striker. He played yeah. the false nine. He yeah. didn't play, you know, without being off. that false. He scored quite a yeah. few goals as well, didn't Look, he? I mean, it, you know, it is really bizarre. I mean, Bournemouth were. You know, Chelsea were previously unbeaten in 43 home league games against newly promoted opposition. Bournemouth were without a win since the 19th of September. I've only won one away game before that, mm. you know, this season. Result puts us 14th in the table on 15 points after 15 games, 17 points off the top, 14 points off a Champions League qualification place with 23 games to play. And after 15 games last season, we were 26 points ahead of Leicester. We're now 17 points behind them. I mean, it is a bizarre season. I only put those stats on the table to illustrate how bizarre it is. No, but that's when stats really do sort of sum something up. You know, it, I always have this thing with stats. You can argue in one way or another, but those are such a brilliantly bizarre set of... Wait, that is a statement. Doesn't of make any truth. sense. No, the comparison with Leicester just shows that swing. That's a that's a landslide swing. Yeah. If that was an election, you know, know, for, yeah, for instance, exactly. do, do you think it's, it's Labour ninety seven? Isn't it? it? Is. I, I'm kind of worried that this has all happened since I've moved up to Leicestershire. Yeah. Well, do you think yeah, I've ruined we're everything? All, we're all thinking it, Kerry. That's uh, that's the problem. But, you know. Okay. So here's the next question. Um, how disastrous was that result against Bournemouth for not just for the team? 
But for Jose, do you think? Do you think it takes him closer to an abyss that may or may not exist? Or do you think it's just something we'll go through? We'll get onto, and we should tie this up into segueing into Porto because we spent a lot of time about general stuff. Yeah. How important is Porto? Well, go back to your previous question yeah. about Bournemouth. I, I don't think it's a disaster. I think it's unfortunate. I think it's annoying. I think it's upsetting. And I think it's upsetting. But I don't think it's a disaster. There are still, what, 23 games to play? You know, what, what would be acceptable this season? Top six, if we're realistic, that's achievable. You know, top four we could go for if other teams start to, to tailspin and get injuries. I mean, look, it's not a disaster at this stage of the season. It's upsetting. It's an anomaly. You know, it will happen. That's football. In terms of your other question against Porto, I still don't think that's a make-or-break game for Jose. I really don't. You know, I think we only need a draw. Um, if we win, then we qualify top of the league. Um, you know, I mean, it, it's all in our favour. I think, you know, one thing we do do, we have got a lot of big game players and they will get up for the big game. You know, you know, it'll be a brilliant atmosphere down there tomorrow night. It, it will be, you know, it'll, the, the crowd will be up for it. They will be, hopefully, initially supportive. And, um, and I think that, you know, th- there's a lot of history between Jose and that club. So uh, all the omens are good for tomorrow night. But even if, even if by some disaster, we you know, we lose, I still don't think that is the end of the world. See, I, I think, yeah, Bournemouth wasn't a disaster. But I think what it does now is it puts undue pressure on this Porto game because... Things were looking up in terms of the league. They were turning things around with the clean sheets and you know, gradually picking up points. They get this big setback by losing you know, that record 43 games against you know, newly promoted teams. Incidentally, the last time they lost was 5th of December as well, 2001. So it's yeah. 14 years to the day. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just think that it puts undue pressure on that game where if Chelsea lose, for instance, and we're expecting Kiev to, you know, to be um, Tel Aviv, then I just think that Chelsea's season's over almost. Well, and they're out of the Champions League, and I think that's been Jose's saving grace so far. But we've got Leighton Orient or Scunthorpe in the yeah. FA Cup. Come on, girl. But yeah, well, we lost to Bradford, Bradford. last season. But, <laughs> yeah, this is true. But uh, yeah. no, I just think about, you know, I just look in, I think that the fact Chelsea have been in the Champions League, and that's, you know, because now, it, you know, Jose said himself after Saturday that the top four is looking, you know, an impossible task as well as a title now. and that rules out the Champions League for next season, which is where Chelsea's business model's based. It's where the club prides itself. You know, every season under Bramvich, they've been a Champions League club. Yeah. They got in through the back door in you know, 2012 when they won it. But then straight after that, you know, Di Matteo was rocking the league. And it was only when we got beat by Juventus and we went out of Champions. That, that was it. He got the chop. The same yeah. with Villas Boas. That yeah. We lost 3-1 to Napoli. Napoli, yeah. And I, I know we went on to lose to West Brom in the league, but that was it. That was, you know, the Napoli game had almost sealed his fate. And I think that... I don't have any inside knowledge on it, but just looking at the pattern at Chelsea, if the, the Champions League is the big It's a marking or, point, isn't yeah, it? It's well, it? And if Chelsea go out and they fall into the Europa League, which you know, Jose himself has poked fun at, yeah. I well, just think that... Let's just clarify what, what we have to do tomorrow night. So if we win, we top the group. We need a point to qualify for the knockout stages. If we draw with Porto and Dinamo Kiev beat Maccabi Tel Aviv, Dinamo Kiev will top the group on goal difference. We will be second and Porto will drop out into the Europa League. Porto and Dinamo Kiev both win. It's the Europa League for us. That's, yeah. that's, that's what it means. So, you know, it's all to play for. For me, brilliant. I mean, I see, I see a fantastic game, a fantastic evening, a fantastic atmosphere. And I, and I think we I mean, Porto, you know, they lost 2-0 to Dinamo Kiev at home in the last Champions League game. Uh, they're coming off the back of three straight league wins, though, including a 2-1 victory over Pacos de Ferreira on Saturday. In what is not, let's be honest, one of the superstar leagues of Europe. So I don't think we can build too much into it. But they're a decent team with decent players. They are quick. They're mobile. All the things that we hate. You know, I just think it's going to be a brilliant game. I'm looking forward to it yeah i am i i think you know i think it's it's quite an epochal moment i think it's going to be word Word of the evening (laughs) yeah there you go um i I think i think it's got the hallmarks of a classic night at the bridge it should have and i I really hope that our fans are going to get down there are going to get into it are going to get behind the team and the team rises to the occasion that's the thing that has really sort of struck me i think about the team is even when everyone's cheering. And I do think that the crowd was pretty subdued in a lot of ways against Bournemouth. And sometimes we need... And Mourinho said this before, that we need to be there. We need to lift that team. My fear about Champions League nights is I don't know anyone around me most of the time in, in, the, in the stands. It seems to be a lot of tourists, more than league games. Yeah. Um, and I really hope that, you know, 
people did chose not to buy them because well, they probably did chose not to buy them because they'd have thought we were already qualified and it was a dead rubber. Yeah. But I hope we can make that place electric. My you understanding know, is everybody's coming. Everybody I know is coming. Everybody's bought their tickets for that I game. I think as well, though, if you look at the, the Dynamo Kiev game when you know, we got that late free kick from William, the way the fans got behind Jose, it just goes back to what you were saying earlier, that, that, that was the the pinnacle this season if you like and you can see that emo- emotionally that meant a lot to him and he, he knew a lot was riding on that game in the fact that he had his wife and two kids behind the dugout that game as well and that he wanted that moral support and the fans gave him it you know it was this, yeah. this wave of emotion you know and I think everyone reacted to it the players reacted to it Jose reacted to it I think that's what they need again because they, they, they can't in a they can't way. have this tentative you know suddenly something goes wrong and everyone yeah, you know, including including the fans, you know, start crapping the pants, you know. And yeah. Well, again, I think term. that's a good point actually because that tension, they must feel that tension of in the crowd, the players, and they start to freeze a little bit and start to not play the ball quickly. And can I just very quickly do the kids? Yeah, of course, um, course, you know, course. because I think you know that, that, that's worth mentioning at the moment. The fact that um, the under 18s beat West Ham four 0 at home against uh, uh, at home on Saturday. Ten games unbeaten. They're now four points clear at the top of the South section of the under 18 Premier League. And then it's games on December the 16th against Huddersfield Town in the FA Cup third round. And the under-21s beat Celtic 5-0 at home in the Premier League. International Cup on Friday to put them into the last 16 of that competition. Five different goal scorers, Mukta Ali, Kevin Wright, uh, Charlie Musonda, Casey Palmer and Reese Mitchell with a penalty in injury time. Charlie Colcott sent off. And the under-19s play Porto at home tomorrow, lunchtime in the UEFA Youth League group stages. Charlie Musonda is an interesting case isn't he there's yeah. been rumours about him being a bit upset with Chelsea because they haven't sorted out a contract for him um, and I've seen him a bit he looks a useful player he's a very useful he? player he's a, he's, a, he's a flair player he's so a... that's hit and miss it's just oh. like is that what you mean they're kind of like well he's a flair player which is not Jose's ideal player but the, the issue with with Masondo is that he, he's really good on the ball but he just doesn't have that end product in terms of I know he scored just the other day but I think before that he had one goal all season and I think if you're going to really want to break into you know you, you look who's ahead of him in that in those attacking areas yeah. Hazard, William you know these are guys that are, Hazard, William, know, Oscar, Pedro yeah and you know even Fabregas to a point and yeah. you know th- these are players that one cost multi-millions but two I know they haven't really been so much this season, but, but they are proven. They are proven, and they yeah. score goals, especially Hazard last season, and you know Williams doing it from set pieces. Yeah. I think those younger players, you know, really need to step up. You know, they, they need to do what um, Tammy Abraham and Dom Solanke have done, where they've just rifled in the goals, and you know, just from those stats alone, people take a notice of them. Whereas Musonda, I think, very talented player, but he needs to step up and really stand out. You know, you look at the best young English players that have come through from academy teams in recent times. Daniel Sturridge, you know, he was, Alley, yeah. yeah, you know, these are guys. Their, their stats Daniel were so Sturridge, high because now, they just they were too to good. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> Would it, you, you know, have sold Sturridge at the time? And this, this, the point is that you know people took point into um, De Bruyne hindsight. now. It's hindsight, isn't yeah. But pe- point into De Bruyne now. You know, Chelsea got good money for him, and that money, yeah, okay, we can you know regret the fact he was gone, but that money bought in Kurzuma. Yeah, you yeah. know. And, well, Lukaku is another one. I mean, Lukaku yeah. last night, fifty goals and hundred appearances for Everton. You know, good luck but look, to him. But, but look who he brought got, in. He brought in Diego Costa, who won us the title. Yeah, I agree. You know, and, I, and I don't think Lukaku at that stage in his career he was good for Everton because of where Everton are in, in terms of you know the the, uh, the pyramid in in the Premier League. But he wouldn't have been getting the game time to evolve into the player that he is. Maybe if Chelsea kept sending him on loan, but he didn't want the loan. He wanted to be playing, but he had no yeah. credentials to say, this is why I should be playing, you know? And yeah. Now, maybe you'd, you'd get in the Chelsea team, but two, you know, was it, yeah, 18 months ago? Most strikers would get in the Chelsea team yeah. at the moment in, in a kind of a weird way because we just don't seem to have any. I mean, do you... So your viewpoint as a Chelsea fan, do you wish we would look at bringing more youth players through? Oh, yeah, definitely. I'd, I think, um, you know, the, the one that stands out is just Loftus-Cheek is that, you know, on, on just going back to that point I made about Fabregas on 70 minutes, he looked knackered. And I just thought that it was the, I, you know, I'm not calling for doing an Aston Villa and saying, right, let's just get rid of all the players and bring the youth in because what happens is what's happening to Villa. But I think for 20 minutes, you know, for half an hour, start a game and play a game and, you know, Loftus-Cheek coming in, you know, with 20 minutes left. On Saturday, that energy, the physicality in the middle there, you know, he can pass, you know, you see the goal he scored against Liverpool just recently yeah, yeah, in the, yeah. in the, in the uh, under-21s game. Line. Yeah. I know that's under-21s football, but it just shows that here's a kid that is way too good for that level, 
but he's not quite ready yet to be we, playing. We asked this on the last on the last couple of podcasts about has he got a defined role yet? Is he a number ten? Is he a holding midfield player? But he's, a hold, he's a holding midfielder. Jose he? said it himself. But he plays him at number ten. But that, see, that's the issue. That's the issue is that against Tel Aviv, he played him in that holding role, and he got the man of the match display. Had a really good game in in the first game of the Champions League, and then uh, he did the same against I know Sunny Walsall, and he um, yeah had a really good game there. Set up Kennedy for Kennedy's first goal. And then he kind of disappeared a little bit. And, um, you know, speaking to Jose after the Villa game, uh, uh, sorry, after the Southampton game, I said, you know, is it time to bring him in now? Because, you know, the lights of Matic are struggling. And he said, yeah, yeah, after the international break, he's going to get a run of games. He played 45 minutes against Villa as the number 10, got hauled off, and we didn't see him until the Spurs game recently when he came on as an 89th-minute sub. But yeah. I think... That, I mean, we're big fans of Lotte Cheek here. Yeah. Yeah. We, we all like him. Yeah, the, but yeah. that day, I think, you know, Jose just, you know, I forget who asked him. The journalist asked him a question. Why did you bring him off? And he said, um, you know, because he wasn't doing what I wanted tactically. And then I just jumped in and was like, okay, well, he was playing number 10 though. And he said, well, when he's tactically responsible enough and mature enough, he'll play in that holding role. So that's where he sees him playing. But at the moment, he just doesn't see it that he's got the, the nous to do it. But there's only one way he's going to get it and it's by playing games. I mean, if you look at Jose's career, he hasn't really, isn't a one for bringing youth through, is he? You know, but right? I think he is. I mean, he did a couple at Madrid. He brought Varane, didn't he, through? Yeah. Well, he doesn't mind bringing defenders through. Apart from Varane. Yeah. I think he isn't, though, because yeah. he doesn't hang yeah. around long enough at yeah. a club. Whereas, yeah. you know, now, you know, when people talk about third season syndrome, it's like, well... He's only had three seasons twice in his career, you know, at Chelsea before we got the boot and at Real Madrid. And, you know, and he, he won the Copa del Rey, didn't he, in that third season? But I think you look at him, he, for a manager to bring youth team players through with the demands in the Premier League and the demands of making the Champions League and winning trophies, it's difficult. And what he needs to do is ease Loftus cheek into it more, though. And it was frustrating because. Um, when Fabregas was struggling, I just tweeted, I'll oh, you know, bring Loftus-Cheek on for 20 minutes. And then I looked over who was warming up and it was uh, Traore, uh, Mikel and Remy. And I thought, oh, I made a cock up here. He's, he's not actually on the bench. I, th- I thought I saw him on the bench. I looked, I was like, yeah, he is on, you know, on the team sheet. He's on the bench. I was looking at the bench and then I just saw him slumped in his chair because he knew he wasn't getting on. You know, and he, he wasn't, you know, he, he did a Costa where, you know, Costa against Spurs didn't bother warming up and Loftus-Cheek just didn't warm up all game from what I saw. And it must be demoralising for him, but you know, what, what's he going to do? You know, Jose really needs to nurture him a bit better. Yeah. I, I think that may be one of those areas where he could do working on it. He needs to... I, I just think it's also... It gives a tonic for, for everyone. You know, when you see Loftus-Cheek come on, you can feel people get more excited about that than, you know, someone else coming on. <clears throat> and I think it's important... He brought Traore on, didn't he? On, yeah. On Saturday. He's another nifty but, player, though. Yeah. You know, yeah. He, he actually looked right, and he was taking some yeah. responsibility in that yeah. the ball, you know, he had the ball on the edge of the 18-yard box, tried a few tricks, and then he went out for a corner, and he was the one running over, taking the corner. Yeah. You know, and I think when you see players like that, I think that's what Jay-Z responds to, because he likes yeah. to see him taking a bit of responsibility. Kennedy's, and, Kennedy's one that he seems to, you know... Yeah, be, but then he wasn't on the bench against Bournemouth. But I, I think what he's doing with Kennedy is what he should be doing with Loftus-Cheek. He brings him in, yeah. plays a couple of games, has him out of the team a bit introducing him to the game whereas you know Kennedy and Loftus-Cheek are Jose players you look at them they're real big guys they're yeah, physical they're, units, aren't they? they're really athletic 19 yeah exactly and you know you'd think that they're the type of players that would get the opportunities but yeah. at the moment it's not really working for Loftus-Cheek obviously stuff behind the scenes might be going on that we don't know about but I think just you know looking at a face value this is a young kid that's captain the Chelsea youth team to the you know, youth Cup final. He was in the team that he wasn't captain on the day, but he was a team that European Cup final. In the, yeah, yeah. yeah UEFA Youth League last yeah. year. This is a kid who's got a lot of potential. Seems to have his head screwed on. Whenever I've spoken to him, he's a really affable guy, nice guy. You know, he seems a little bit like a rabbit in headlights at times when you're whacking a camera in his face. But then again, what 19 year old isn't? But yeah. I think when you see him play, he play, he plays with a bit of authority. And you know, just going back to that Maccabi Tel Aviv game, he had a really good performance that night. He got booked in the first minute, yeah. but you wouldn't have known it. And you know, he got taken off after 80 minutes, gets that stand innovation. This kind of just gone downhill you know, well, gradually let's, since let's then. Let's hope, you know, with, with games coming up, that, you know, that, that he'll give him a little bit more of a run. All right, well, we better wrap up here. And don't forget, you can listen to uh, our special short podcast with Gary and Andy and myself discussing the Leicester game at the end of the week um, so that just leaves us really to do a prediction for the Porto game so yes Gary what's your predictions I'll go 2-1 I think our defence is a little bit shaky where we'll concede but maybe we'll win it like we did against Kiev leave us you know the way the season's gone they want a bit of drama still don't they 
I don't think there's a, a manager in the world that's better at shutting up shop for a point. You know, when we played those games against Arsenal at the Emirates, when we played those games when we just need a point, he's brilliant at it. I think there will be a tactical masterclass from Jose tomorrow. I think we will hit him on the break and we'll win 1 0. Okay, that sounds good. Um, so that just leaves me with one of my random ones, I suppose. I think I'm going to go, I can feel the mood taking me. 3 0. To who? <laughs> anyway, thanks for joining. Yeah. No, three nil to us. It's going to be three nil to us for, for sure. You think we're going to be playing expansive flair football? Look, you know, <laughs> if we actually totted up my predictions this season, we'd already have about seventy odd goals, and we'd be about twenty-two points clear. So you know, I, I still try and keep that positivity going somehow. But well, all I can say is thank you. Uh, I'm sorry it's been a bit testy at times for people. Um, Shows the passion and the commitment in here. Uh, it's been interesting. It's been intriguing. It's been great to meet Gary. Thanks, Andy, as yeah, always. You, good, Gary. you can come back. Yeah, mate. you were good. You were great. And, I'll take uh, over. Phil's not around, is he? I've, I've taken his spot. Yeah, that's, <laughs> he'll be fine. He would have been here. This microphone is all set up for him, but he's off doing a fight scene in Les Mis. There you go. And that's, that's, not a, that's not a euphemism. No, no. Well, actually, it might be. <laughs> I don't know. We'll have to ask him next week. All right, well, thanks, chaps. And uh, we'll see you later in the week when we discuss the Leicester game. This is a Playback Media production served to you in association with Why Not Think People. Sports Social Podcast Network.